Thanks for checking out the Crosspoint Church podcast. It's our hope that these messages will encourage you to grow and thrive in your relationship with Christ. You can find more like this at thecrosspoint.com. Welcome to all of you. So glad that you're with us this morning as we begin this first Sunday in the new year. Uh, expecting great things, I am. I know it's gonna have hardship too, but my heart is also hopeful. Hopeful for you, hopeful for our church, hopeful for those of you that can't be with us. Uh, I look forward to you being with us, but I'm glad you're joining us around God's word this morning. Wherever you are, you're home, you're on vacation, you're with a parent who's ailing. Thank you for watching, worship with us. Let's gather around God's word. Uh, so beginning of the year, I don't know about you, but there are things that I kind of look around the house and say, all right, it's time to get organized. Anybody else with me? It's like, <clears throat> man, I, I want to get some organization in my life. So I start looking at things that I can either resell, recycle, or reuse. It's some way of, of repurposing uh, things that in my life. And so and when I get something new, I try to think in threes and, and how can I get rid of something or uh, resell it anyway. And so I was looking around, but you know, I'm sentimental. I don't know if anybody else is in the room. You just get attached to things. I brought one of those antiques this morning that I got attached to. Anybody remember this antique? Those of you that are under the age of 30, find somebody over the age of 50 to explain what this is to you. So, so this is a disc man. Yeah, you got How is Pastor Sean still holding on to stuff like that? I don't know. You know, I get attached to things, but, but because there are CDs that... You guys remember what those are too? A CDs. So it's stuff that you can play music on and... And the thing is, I have CDs that I'm really attached to, and there's something about putting a CD of uh, Neil Diamond, Journey, Foreigner, Chicago, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, come on, yeah, give me some good old Earth, Wind, and Fire Tower of Power. And it takes me back, you know? It's like, I, I wanna keep this because the songs that I play can take me back. But, you know, regardless of the fact that when I use this and it takes four huge batteries and, and after one CD, I have to replace the batteries, it's just hard to get rid of because I, I get attached to things. Just like we get attached, maybe, maybe you, you got you've got an attachment to those Calvin Klein jeans. It's like, girl, you don't fit in them anymore, but you're hoping, you know, maybe this is my year. Uh, you get, you get it, you get attached, you get attached to, you know, an old car, you get attached to, maybe there's a love note that you're hanging on to that's in a box somewhere from somebody you used to know. Mm. Maybe there's a phone number in your phone that really ought not to be there. Maybe there's that spot that when you drive by, it takes you back. You remember, oh, that's the place where I met him, met her. Or oh, that's the first time I had a, a, a chocolate malt in St. Louis at Steak and Shake and that steak burger, and it, it calls out to you. You get it attached to it. Not every attachment is bad. 
I mean, we, we get attached to stuff because, because we're humans, and, and CDs may not ruin your life, hanging on to a CD, listening to a CD. But when attachment comes to a thing or person, and it begins to rob us of our joy, rob us of our happiness, rob us of our peace, then we've, we've got a problem. Or we fix our hopes on a future that when we get there, it's not all it was cracked up to be. Psychology tells us that detachment is the way to happiness. They will tell us that ultimate happiness is when you are detached from everything so that you have ultimate freedom to be yourself, to do your thing, and so on. But it seems to me, I don't know if this is the case for you, but when you detach from something harmful, you attach to something else. It's not like we can really choose to be completely detached. I was thinking about this and thinking about a quote from Matthew Perry, the late Matthew Perry, dating one of the most beautiful women in the world. When he was dating her, he was still despondent on the inside, wrestling with drugs. He said this, she was the biggest movie star in the world. I was on the number one show on TV. All of those things, Julia and the Dream House and one million a week were wonderful. I will be eternally grateful for all of them. They just weren't the answer. Hmm. How is that possible? I mean, most people in America would say, this is the dream. This is the way to happiness. Are you kidding me? A million dollars a week dating one of the most beautiful women in the world, my dream home, and he still says he couldn't detach himself from things that he was addicted to. Most of these things that he would say, and we would say, many of us in this room, many of you watching, that is success, that is happiness. And yet he couldn't detach himself from things that were destroying his body. There are single people in this room that wear the badge proudly. I am unattached. Some with pride. I don't need anyone. I don't need anything. But if we're honest, we would say, I am attached. And most would define unhealthy attachments as those things or people that become so important to us that we depend on them for our ultimate happiness. Prestige, power, social media, or how about this one? A cell phone. A lover, a position, a title. In America, we call them obsessions. If it's to a person, we say they are co-dependent. In other words, if they're happy, I'm happy. If they aren't happy, I'm not happy. Christianity makes this crazy claim that there is an attachment that is meant to be permanent that can bring us joy and ultimate happiness, a dependence that brings freedom. We're looking at the Big Ten for a few weeks, and we've looked at the Ten Commandments before, but 
I want us to look with our teaching team over the next few weeks at a different angle. Sometimes we look at the Ten Commandments and we say, these are things you have to do to get God to love you. And that is not the purpose of the Ten Commandments. What I want to look at, what I hope we can see over the next few weeks is that we want to see God in the Ten Commandments. What is God trying to tell us about himself? And so we're going to look at the first two today and summarize them together in Exodus chapter 20. If you have an old-fashioned print Bible, it's the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 20. Pull it up on your device. Let's look at God's word together. It says in verse one, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Verse five, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. It sounds like an exclusive attachment, doesn't it? Exclusive love and affection. You will have no other gods. I'm a jealous God. I want your exclusive devotion. If you're looking in on Christianity today, you, some of you immediately throw up an objection and say, it seems to me, and I'm asking a question, pastor, it sounds to me like, are you suggesting that God is somehow insecure? How is it that God can be jealous? I mean, I used to date a girl that was jealous all the time. It was like, you know, I'm with her exclusively, uh, but, but she's jealous of my ex-girlfriend. And I'm saying, but I'm with you. And she's saying, yeah, but when I think about her, it makes me mad. I'm saying, if I wanted to be with her, I'd be with her, but I'm not, I'm with you. Is that sort of like the way God is? Is God saying all the time, well, I know you're saying you love me, but do you really? And are these 10 commandments what we need to do to get God to love us? Is this the way you get into heaven, so to speak? If we think that, if you think that, you're gonna miss the points of the 10. And here's why we need to always think of things in the context of what God is saying and what is his purpose. And we need to go back just a little bit and without rewinding completely through Genesis and Exodus, let's look at chapter 19 where God begins this dialogue with Moses. As Moses is on Mount Sinai and God is going to give him these 10 commandments, God says, you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. We sang today, we sang some old songs to take us back. One of them said, 
Let us be the generation that seeks the God of Jacob. What does that mean? It's a reference to Old Testament scripture where God said, I'm going to have a people. And through this people, this nation of two million plus, these people who are ex-slaves, I'm going to bring them out. And through them, I'm going to demonstrate my capacity to love and to change people. Uh, Jacob was the father, Jacob whose name was changed to Israel. These descendants, God says, I want you to speak to them. So the Ten Commandments weren't written to us, 21st century. They were written to Israel, but they are for us. We can learn something about this God. He says, this God, he is saying this, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Who were the Egyptians? Talk to me. They were their slave masters. These were the people who had enslaved Israel for 400 years. And God says, you saw what I did to them. Some of you know a bit about the Bible. You know about Pharaoh and the plagues. God did that to demonstrate his love for Israel, but also his judgment on these slaveholders. You saw what I did, God said. And look at this phrase, how I bore you on eagle's wings. And what did God do? I brought you to myself. In other words, God is saying you couldn't deliver yourself. You couldn't carry yourself, but I carried you. This is the God that is saying these commandments. I I did this to your former slaveholders. I carried you so that what? Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my, say that with me, treasured possession. God gets exclusive rights because he is the one who delivered them. So he says, you're mine. So the Ten Commandments aren't born out of a way to get God to love them. They are born out of a way of relationship, of God saying, I brought you out to bring you into an awesome place. I'm taking you somewhere. I'll take you there, God says. And because of that, you are mine. And here's some ways I want you to live. So the Ten Commandments weren't given so they could belong to God. Get this. They were given to them because they belonged already to God. Because I brought you out, you are mine. I have a, a permanent attachment to you. So don't have any other gods or idols. In other words, don't give yourself over to somebody else because they can't deliver you. They can't rescue you. Because you're mine. No other first loves, nobody else at the top of the list, no other seat of honor, I'm number one in your life, no other idols. Why would God ask for that? Because of covenant love. This is, a, this is something that in 21st century is hard for us to understand. In a day where we live by contracts, you do this, I'll do this. If you break your part, I break my part. That wasn't the concept of covenant love. Covenant love was meant to be permanent. Uh, We have a little bit of understanding of it from marriage. The way marriage was meant to be in the traditional vows, it says something like this. 
I take you to be mine for better, for worse. And then there's this phrase that says, forsaking all others. Oh, if we could get that, a lot of marriages would be better. We could forsake parents, still honor them, but forsake them, leave and cleave. If we could forsake other loves in our life, oh, how great marriages would be. The covenant of marriage, that's what the terminology is in traditional vows. And I know today, lots of them are broken, but that wasn't the way God originally said, look, this is the way it's gonna be. It's a covenant between two people for better, for worse, because it's a picture of my covenant with my people, your mind. But what would you think of a man who said, well, I wanna marry you, but I've got some exceptions I'd like to propose to you. In the vows, I'd like to be able to say, I take you to be my wedded wife, forsaking all others, except my former high school sweetheart and the lover upstairs. Or if a woman said, oh, I take you to be my wedded husband, forsaking all others, except the guy at the office, I think is really hot. What would you say? You say, no, that's a sham. That's, you don't want me. You're not loving me, you're loving yourself. This is about you. This isn't about us. I'm not your treasured possession. You've got a bunch of possessions. In the same way, God is saying to Israel, I want to be your only true God. You don't need any other gods. This is the point. Don't have any idols. I know most of us would say, I don't have any idols. I'm not bowing down to anything. I'm not going, oh, oh, oh. I'm not doing any of that. I don't have idols, but really what an idol is, is it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be a good thing. But anything that we attribute our ultimate happiness to, Here's a good way of asking ourselves what, it, what is an idol? Money, job, good looks, sexual fulfillment, anything that's an attachment for our ultimate happiness besides God. Besides God, not, not happiness or pleasure, ultimate happiness. I must have this. I must have her, I must have him. If I don't have them, I cease to exist. Why? Because when things or people become necessary for our ultimate happiness, I have made an idol out of them. I'm looking to them to deliver me from my despondency, from my disappointment, from my despair, from my loneliness. I can be grateful for pleasure. I can be grateful for a job, grateful for my wife. But when my ultimate happiness depends on her or it or them, I've created an idol. How do I know something has become an idol, my functional savior? How do I know if a person or a job has become an object of worship? I ask myself and I ask you, what do you attach your worth to? What do you obsess over? 
What do you worry about in the middle of the night over and over again? Pull it up. Somewhere attached to that is likely an idol. And yes, God says, I'm jealous. Why? Because as Tim Keller writes, idols consume you as you pursue them, disappoint you when you get them, and devastate you when you lose them. Man, that's good. Consumes you. Disappoints you when you can't get them, or when you get them, and devastates you when you lose them. And so God says, yes, I'm jealous. Here's why. Because your little idols can't deliver you. They can't love you like I can. Israel, I carried you out on eagle's wings. You're mine. I delivered you. Let me ask a question. Has God delivered anybody in this room? Well, I can think of some of your stories. You guys have heard Pastor Josiah talk how he was enslaved to methamphetamines and alcohol. He could not deliver himself. And yet, when he turned to Jesus Christ, God delivered him. It wasn't like that, but God carried him out, sitting on the front row. My friend Steve Charette, addicted to alcohol, enslaved to it. Now he's one of our pastors and elders. I'm thinking of a man in the church that I know that was addicted to financial success. And when he lost it all, he's sitting in the middle of an empty apartment in Florida with a pistol in his hand and said, God, if you're real, would you come and save me and deliver me? Guess what? God did it. God delivered him. He's still financially successful today, but it's not his God. I know somebody in this church, Dr. Dana, many of you know her, that at some point in medical school, she was chasing the dream and she met a guy who knew Jesus. Uh-oh. And this guy said, can I ask you a question? Do you know Jesus? And she said, I'm a good person. He said, I know that. But how, are you trusting Jesus with your life completely? I'm paraphrasing, but this conversation went back and forth, back and forth, until she realized that she was serving herself. Her ultimate end was to be a doctor and to say, I've got a title, I matter, I'm a good person. But then she gave her life to Jesus Christ. Now she loves medicine, but she says, my first love is Jesus Christ. God delivered her. So it doesn't have to be methamphetamines or alcohol. It can be from anything. It can be ourselves that we're looking to find ourselves by looking within. God says, that is not going to work. Get rid of your idols. They can't save you. They can't deliver you. Why wouldn't you worship a God like that who can deliver you? But there's no exclusive love in the world, pastor. You know that. We're not good at keeping covenants. Do you know anybody that's truly keeping their covenant? I hear these 10 commandments. I hear God asking for exclusivity and God knows I can't keep it perfectly. So where does that leave me? Is God gonna walk out? This is the difference with God and us. 
In marriage, we say, in a marriage ceremony at some point, we say, I want to see a token, a sign of your covenant. And what do you usually do? You say, here's the ring on my finger. I put it there. My wife put it there to say what? This is a symbol of our covenant. It's just a symbol, but it's important. What does it say? Don't flirt with me. My wife has a ring. I bought, I purchased, took some hard-earned cash, but I gave it to her to say, she's mine. This is a covenant. We belong to each other. It's a sign, it's a token. This is where God is different. God doesn't base his covenant with you based on your ability to keep it, but upon his ability to keep you. And God didn't give a token like I'm gonna give you five bucks or I'm gonna buy you a ring. God's token was his son. How do I know God loves me? How do I know God's not gonna walk out on me when I can't keep the commandments perfectly? Look at Jesus. He's the proof. He's the token of God's love for us. When I knew I couldn't keep my end of the deal and God knows you can't, but he says, I still got you. I'm gonna carry you out. I'm gonna take you where you can't go by yourself. And this is why Jesus said when he celebrated communion, which we will in just a few moments, with his disciples before a meal, he said, Jesus said, he took a cup and he, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, to his followers, saying, drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the, there's the word. It's not an old covenant anymore. It's not about keeping commandments perfectly. It's about a covenant-keeping God who said, this is how you know I'm gonna keep my part even when you don't. It's poured out, the blood of Jesus Christ. I know it's a gruesome thing, but the reason we sing about it and talk about the lamb is because this is the token of God's love for us, for me, that he's not gonna walk out on me. Poured out. For many, for the forgiveness of sins. Anybody still need forgiveness? Anybody else in the room, you still blow it and you say, God, forgive me and thank God. He says, yes, of course I do. You're mine. So yes, God deserves to be our one and only. This is not just a promise contract that we have. Well, if you keep your end of the deal, I'll keep mine. This is a covenant keeping God and in the new covenant, the New Testament, for those of you that are new to the Bible, the old covenant, the new covenant, in the new covenant, Jesus is the token. He's the symbol that God is gonna keep it. So he's worthy. So he gets exclusive rights on me. So he can say, you're mine, you're my possession. So yes, he can be number one. Does he deserve the seat of honor? Does, does he deserve that place in your life exclusively? My friend Vince, 
Kluge, went to be with Jesus a few years ago. Many of you don't know him. A faithful man in this church, he was a friend to me, a friend of this church, on the board, served, gave, played the bass, whatever needed to be done, he did it. And seven years ago, well, this is his family here. This is the goofy guy here on the left. His beautiful wife, Kim, got a call one morning. On the way to work, a hit and run driver rammed into the back of his little Honda and he was permanently disabled from the neck down. Suddenly all the little things that he used to do couldn't do them anymore. And amazingly, though paralyzed, he was the happiest, most joyful paraplegic I've ever known. How is that possible? Until his last breath, one of the most joyful people I've known. And at his memorial service, his oldest son, Josh, got up and I'm paraphrasing some of the beautiful things he said at his memorial. He said, God gave me a gift in my daddy. I wanna grow up and be like him. Colleen, I want you to see, show us this picture of Josh if you have it, this beautiful young man with his sister. He says, I wanna grow up and be like him because in my daddy, I saw the love of Jesus. I saw him pray. I, I went downstairs in the morning, he'd be sitting on the couch quietly praying to God. And I watched him when he was paralyzed, still mumbling and praying in his bed. So I want to grow up to be like him. And I'm thinking, what a remarkable thing to say. What an odd thing to say as it comes to the world. Here's a man who can't do anything for you. He's paralyzed. He can't hold you. He's not wealthy. He's not famous. He's not strong. In fact, the world would say, as far as we're concerned, you don't have value. Permanently disabled. And yet here's this son that says, I want to be like you. You're worthy to be my dad still. I honor you. And why? Why would we say that's appropriate? I would guess even the most hard-hearted person in the room would still say, he deserves respect. And why would you say that? Because there was a time when that young man, Josh, was a little boy and he couldn't feed himself. And he had a daddy who picked up that spoon out of that pureed banana and some other bad stuff and said, here comes the airplane. Open wide, buddy. And Josh opened his mouth and daddy fed him. And when Josh, the only thing he could do was lie in the bed and cry in his crib. A daddy heard his cry, went over, picked him up and carried him, brought him to himself. That's why. And when he couldn't do anything but lie in his bed and pray, 
he was still praying. And we look at somebody like that and say, why do they deserve respect? Because here's a good, here's a good man, but he's not perfect. But when he couldn't carry his own weight anymore, guess what? There was a father in heaven who was carrying him. Carrying him through his trial. Carrying him through his suffering. Carried him all the way through that paralysis, all the way into glory. And my friend, aren't you tired of carrying yourself? Aren't you tired of carrying the weight of the world? Isn't it crushing you to say, I've got to be somebody, and that love, that idol is crushing you? God says, lay it down, and I will carry you. Let me be your treasured possession, and you are mine. Is it wrong to give a God like that honor? Here's where God is better than a great daddy. God is not demanding your performance in order to deliver you. He's asking for your faith. He's asking for your devotion. He's asking for your love. He's asking you to say, all right, I'm tired of being God. I'm tired of my little idols. I've got some attachments that need to go. I'm gonna let them go. Don't you see what I've done for your enemies? Don't you see how I've crushed them? Don't you see how I've carried you? So let me be your God. I've been asking myself some questions the last few days as I've been thinking about idols, my life, worship. Sean, how important is it to you to be liked? Is, is it just as, are you, do you get as, as joyful about 100 people being baptized in Africa as you do when 100 people are baptized at Crosspoint? Or how about across the city? Does that charge you up? Is it more important to you how well you did in the pulpit and your own reputation or Jesus' reputation? Those are hard questions. But beneath those questions, I can sometimes find little idols clinging, demanding my love and obsession. And God says, no, it will crush you. Lay them down. There was a man who defined something called a spiritual IQ, your idolatry quotient. And I thought of some questions that maybe help us this morning to think about idols. Let me ask you these. Which means more to me? You ask this of yourself. That God is my father or that he answers all my prayers? Is my happiness affected more by my being called beautiful or beloved of God? Is it more important to be called successful? Man, you are successful. You're at the top of your game or faithful. Do I identify more with the people of God or my political affiliation? Hmm. That political party, that candidate, do you feel more closely aligned with people who follow that person, that party, that agenda, or God's people? We're showing our, our true colors, aren't we? 
Which gives me more joy, someone getting baptized or my sports team winning the championship or my golf score? Do you show as much joy? You go, oh God, thank you. Someone else came to the kingdom, Lord, thank you. Thank you for that baptism. Or you're like, oh, I got a good golf game this week coming up, I'm, I'm ready. What's more important, my reputation or Jesus' reputation? What means more to you? What means more to me? God says, have no other gods. This is God's heart. This is why he's jealous of you. Not jealous of your abilities, but says, no, I wanna be your only God. You can have other loves, but let me be your first love because I carried you. I brought you out. This is Christianity. God is taking us somewhere. Somewhere that Journey and Foreigner and Taylor Swift can't take you. God says, I'll take you there. And so we celebrate communion by saying, I agree with this covenant, God. I can't keep it perfectly, but thank you that you're perfect and your love is perfect. So we get to do this this morning. This is a meal for believers. If you're not a believer, so glad you're here, but just watch. Or say, I believe. I want God, the God of Jacob, the God of Jesus Christ, the God who revealed himself in the cross to be my God. So help me God to lay down my idols. And you can join us today. So I'm gonna pray and usher's gonna be in place. Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege of being in covenant with you, that you are eternal and we have a permanent attachment to you. By grace, we're saved through faith, not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. So we come to this table. We come to the token of your love for us, thanking you that you will keep us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. You can check out thecrosspoint.com for more resources like this.